often. Faith becomes more about who is in and who is out or about who belongs and who does not. But in order for spirituality to be good for anyone, it has to be good for everyone. In this podcast, we find incredible people using their faith and life as a catalyst for goodness in this world. Be inspired to discover your own goodness in order to make your life, your family, your community, and your world better. Welcome to the Chasing Goodness Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kinzera, and today we tackle a topic that we're hearing a lot about these days, but that I think a lot of us struggle to understand how to talk about, and that's mental health. I know when I was growing up, it you know it just wasn't something that was talked about, and now here we are, and we're hearing a lot about it all the time, and for good reason. Also, this is a difficult conversation when we talk about faith communities, because the easy thing to do is to try to pray it away, which <laughs> has not proved very helpful. Actually, it's caused a lot of harm over the years. So today I sit down with my friend, pastor and therapist, Dr. Justin Meyer, to discuss how we can live life more trauma-informed. Well, Dr. Justin Meyer, great to have you on the Chasing Goodness podcast. And I'm just, I'm really excited about this conversation because what you stand for is something I'm very, very interested in. So Justin, why don't you just, uh, just start by sharing a little bit about who you are, and then we'll get into a little bit about what you do. Yeah, I am a dad. I am a pastor. I am a therapist. I'm a professor. I, I do a lot of different things and wear a, a lot of different hats, but my heart is seeing the intersection of faith and mental health come together, right? Where, where they combined and mental health isn't something that's put on the back burner or something that we're ashamed about, but in fact, it's celebrated and embraced and not just lip service or not just once in a while, but something that we, we firmly embrace every chance we get. Uh, so I lead a church that is trauma-informed and resilience building, along with have my own therapy practice. And, and I host a podcast called Faithful Mindfulness, where we talk about that intersection. And then we do daily mindfulness exercises to help people overcome trauma, to think logically, to hear clearly from God, and to walk a journey of becoming everything God has created them to be. You're the second person that we've had on ever to talk about mental health on this show. And I want to do more and more of it because I think a lot of people have been in situations, specifically in faith circles, have been in situations where mental health, I mean, there was maybe just not enough understanding. And I didn't go to seminary, but I don't think that pastors are trained at all in mental health, at least as a whole, or maybe they haven't been as much as they need to be. And so a lot of times what I've sensed happen is people come to a pastor for guidance, pastoral counseling, mental health issues kind of expose themselves and the pastors aren't equipped because they're not therapists. And then they end up feeling like they have to give answers but then they're answers that aren't trauma informed and then could potentially end up even hurting the person worse or creating even more trauma. So share a little bit about your experience. What got you interested in jumping into the mental health field and maybe a little bit what your experience has been in the church world as well. 
Yeah. So let, let me first start off with saying, I think your description of the culture is fairly accurate. I will say we are seeing some great increases in seminaries, embracing more of an ideology of mental health and teaching counseling courses. I know when I went through seminary, like literally there was one counseling course. If you didn't enter into a program that was based on counseling and it was pastoral counseling and Oftentimes, it referenced how to take care of people who are getting married, how to take care of people who have just suffered loss in their life, right? So very basic ideas. But seminaries today now are offering full programs, MDIVs with a counseling emphasis and not not like a religious counseling emphasis. Yes, there is faith involved because it's taught at a seminary, but they're bringing in secular professors. And so I'm really excited about that. A seminary that I used to work at, Weinbrenner Seminary in Finley, Ohio, they actually have a clinical counseling program. And when you leave the program, uh, you can get licensure in all 50 states. So that's exciting to me. But historically, that's not been the case. And it wasn't the case for me. In fact, right now we're hearing a lot about toxic pastors, toxic churches, and the abuse that goes on in those churches. And that used to be me. Hmm. I belonged to uh, a complementarian authoritarian group. In fact, it's been highlighted recently by a podcast called the, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. I was an Acts 29 church planter. I was a Mark Driscoll disciple, and I look back, and I, I think I'm I'm very fortunate and lucky that I got out of it, but I was in it, and I did perpetuate some toxic ideologies and some abuse. And so, realizing that and having that somehow or another, I, I'll label it as supernatural. I think the Holy Spirit did something that helped helped me realize what was going on in my life and in my philosophy of ministry and different things like that. And so I began a journey and it was almost a journey of, of kicking and screaming to realize the importance of mental health. And then I stepped out and ended up getting education in that area and, and really growing. And it's, it's actually become a cornerstone of everything I do. We practice mental health in our home. My wife also works for a mental health company. And so she works for Compass Mental Health of Missouri. And so we do mental health things in our home. Uh, of course, my jobs, I try to help businesses implement mental health practices and trauma-informed practices in their workplaces and spaces. And then we try to help churches get there too. And some people are kicking and screaming and others are joyfully coming along. But the interesting thing is people tend to live on this, this very small spectrum. Either we don't deal with mental health at all, or we only deal with it in crisis. And my approach is let's do everything we can right in the middle so we never get to crisis or if we are in crisis, then we have tools to help us get through that crisis quicker. And I think that's where a lot of us, not only in the church, but even in the secular world, we struggle. I think our culture is starting to hear 
the words trauma and informed together a lot now. And so it's a little bit of a, a buzz that's going on in our culture because we're all understanding the importance of it. But sometimes when that happens, when like a phrase or a word becomes really popular, people put a lot of assumptions around it. And so from your viewpoint, can you just give us some sort of definition of what you mean specifically when you say trauma informed? Yeah. So for me, trauma is any traumatic event that pushes your mental well-being in the direction of being unhealthy. So experiencing depression that is debilitating anxiety that is debilitating, you know, something that really knocks you off track. Because if we're honest, we all face depression or anxiety in small parts in our everyday life. That's normal for people. And I think that is lost. There's lots of people that I have interactions with who, who talk about depression or anxiety. And I'm like, that's okay. That's normal. You're allowed to be anxious about those things. It's not something that you need to be worried about unless it's keeping you from experiencing life, right? Because some people are just not comfortable in those emotions. We all deal with grief. We all deal with worry, those types of things. Based on what you were just saying there, it sounds like everybody's threshold is a little bit different, right? And so some people may be able to hold more anxiety and depression and still function just fine in this world. And other people may have a lower threshold. It's not like a a one size fits all. We're all such different human beings. And that's interesting that you talk about it in that way, because we do have this tendency of labeling you know, oh, that person has anxiety or depression and that person doesn't. But I appreciate that you say that, you know, really we all have it. You know, I've never been diagnosed with anxiety or depression, but I absolutely deal with it on what I would argue as a fairly regular basis, but it doesn't keep me from having joy in life. It doesn't keep me from moving in this world successfully, but I know a lot of other people that that's, that's not the case that it's just very, you know, debilitating. So then the idea of being informed is, is realizing that in your everyday interactions, that most people have experienced some type of trauma either in their life or even in their day, I would argue most people experience some form of trauma every day. And so if you, if you start from that point in dealing with people, you approach people with a different posture. You try to open yourself up to be more understanding. You try to see the big picture. You understand in, in a business place, for example, if a person Uh, that you provide services to is coming at you very angry and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've done everything right, that person's anger may be coming at you not because of something that you did, but because of a traumatic experience that they're dealing with in their life. In fact, most people deal with fear or sadness through the lens of anger. That's how it's projected. And so you can understand that maybe there's something else going on and and you can try to take instead of elevating, which will cause the other person to elevate, you can stay calm, collective, uh, talk a little quieter, talk a little slower and help bring that person down to help center them. So maybe they're processing things a little bit more logically and you can have a beneficial conversation versus a dramatic or traumatic conversation. One of the fascinating things that I want people to hear a little bit of your perspective on is that you are 
you planted a trauma-informed church, and you're also helping a lot of other churches become trauma-informed. What possibly could that look like? Just share what you mean when you talk about this. So we partner being trauma-informed also with resilience building to help people overcome or deal with all the mental health issues that are out there. And so for us, not only is it embracing a posture of loving people exactly where they're at and who they are and trying to see the bigger pictures about people, right? Instead of just what is happening in that direct moment, i.e. getting to the root causes of something versus dealing with what we see are symptoms. But then on top of it, we do things to actually help people's mental health in everything we do. So every Sunday uh, that we gather together, we do a healing mindfulness moment. We work towards firing either serotonin or dopamine or both off in their brains, stimulating their hippocampus through a mental exercise. Uh, Yeah, Justin, you're going to have to back up a little bit there. Why don't you share a little bit, just give us definitions in case people aren't uh, aware of the brain science that you're spitting out there. Talk about dopamine, talk about uh, the hippocampus, just as you go through them, just share a little bit more about what you mean. Well, let's start back like at the very beginning of understanding trauma and then defining different parts of the brain and these things. So our brain is is divided into sections and our our processing, our mental processing actually takes a place in different parts of the brain. And when we are thinking most logically and most critically, we are processing in our frontal lobe. Now, you, without knowing it, may start processing things further and further back, closer to the amygdala and the brainstem. The things that push that thinking backwards are trauma. And so it's okay at times to think back closer to your amygdala. Your amygdala controls your fight, flight, and freeze responses, right? And so if a bus is coming at you or a bear is chasing you, it's really important that you are thinking back there because that triggers adrenaline, that triggers your hippocampus. Your hippocampus is the part of your brain that releases or we identify as stimulating to release hormones into your brain. And so if you are in a very traumatic situation, it's really good uh, if you need to get out of it or defend yourself for your hippocampus to, to trigger adrenaline. But Let's say you and I are just having a conversation. It could be about business. It could be about life. It could be about faith. It's not a good conversation if you are processing that conversation through, I'm scared of you, or I want to beat the crud out of you, right? Like (laughs) That's not where you should be thinking. Just just so we're clear, Justin, neither of those things uh, are what I'm feeling right now. I don't either want to beat the crap out of you, and I'm, I'm not scared of you in this moment. So I think we're okay. Good deal. Good deal. (laughs) But there are people who function that way. And so doing mindfulness exercises helps a person push that processing back up to the front. And the way that our processing is pushed back to the front then is when our hippocampus stimulates and releases dopamine, which is a 
It's like a feel good happy, chemical kind of, yeah, right? Yeah, it's happy. It you're looking forward to something. It gives you hope. It gives you drive. It gives you dream. It helps with certain desires, right? And so that pushes you forward. Serotonin is a relaxing and connecting hormone. And so different exercises help your hippocampus be stimulated and release different hormones. And neuroscience is amazing. And so we have learned there are different exercises we can use through neuroscience that stimulate the hippocampus and release those chemicals naturally. So in your church, you're actually as a whole group leading them through exercises to try to get them in a brain space that's better for relationship in in some ways, right? Yes. So what we want people to do, this is how we talk about it. Uh, We want people to hear clearly from God. We want people to hear clearly from the Bible, and we want people to hear clearly from each other. We don't want anyone to be in a space where they may take something the wrong direction because they're living in fight or flight. We start talking about God and different things like that. They become scared. We don't need to have this fear-based relationship with God. God is a good and loving God. There is no reason that we should be sitting and trembling because of him. Not only do we do it in our worship services, we do it every time we gather. So we have Bible studies, uh, and we start every Bible study, every small group with a mindfulness exercise. Uh, We have board meetings like every church does, and we start our board meetings with a mindfulness exercise. We have a little ministry school, and we start every class with a mindfulness exercise. I have a podcast where I do mindfulness exercises for the people who are connected to us every day. That's how important it is for us. So a big part of just being trauma informed are mindfulness exercises to kick things off. And boy, I've been a part of, I've been a part of some board meetings specifically where they could use some mindfulness exercises. I mean, anytime we have a, especially a group of people gathering, we're all bringing in whatever we're bringing in. A- absolutely. And, and here's the thing, you and I grew up going to church, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've had our own families and we've been part of families that have taken us to church. That time right before service, I mean, you're kind of rushing around. It's the weekend. I, I don't know why we have church service so early in the morning, but we do. <laughs> and so parents are stressed. Children are stressed. Arguments happen. Parents yell at their children and they bring all of that oftentimes into the worship service, let alone the person who may cut them off as they're driving to work or the car problem that they may have before they come or the job they had just lost two days previously. I mean, all of that comes in to the service. So if they're dealing with life from a traumatic perspective, the least we can do is, is try to help center them. And I want to tell you, this isn't just something that, you know, oh, psychology or neuroscience tells us to do. The scripture tells us to do this. In Philippians, my brothers meditate on what is lovely, what is pure, what is of good report, what is true. And those are the things that we actually focus on 
in our mindfulness moment. In fact, we read that scripture every Sunday morning so that visitors understand what we're doing. Are there any other things when you talk about having a trauma-informed church other than your mindfulness exercises? Are there any other things that you all do? So we practice gratitude. I do this not only with our church people, but I do it with all my patients. If you practice gratitude for 21 days straight, it actually changes the chemistry of your brain. It rewrites neural pathways, and it can actually bring healing to some of your synapse. And so we practice gratitude and we do it for more than 21 days because you just start to experience your change at 21 days. On my phone right now, people are literally sending in their thankfulness right now as we're doing this podcast. So that is something that we we do and embrace. We embrace journaling. Not everyone does that, but it is a good way to release emotions. Another thing that we do that makes us kind of unique is that So we have multiple staff at our church. We have four staff right now, soon to be five at our campus in Odessa, Missouri. And we have three at our campus in Lamoni, Iowa. All are required to be in a counseling relationship with a therapist or a counselor. And we find ways to provide that for them. We want people who have to deal with people's trauma to have that outlet for healing themselves. Uh, So that makes us a bit unique. Uh, We offer free counseling services to any family in our congregation that needs them. And that makes us also trauma-informed. And they don't have to come to me. Right now, not a single one of our staff people take a paycheck. We all have second vocations, but that allows us to help people in our congregation receive mental health if they don't want to receive it from one of the ministry staff. Yeah. I love that. And I didn't know that about you and your, your staff that everybody's doing this out of their, the goodness of their heart. But I think that just shows how much you all believe in this as the good and right and proper way to, you know, to handle a congregation and to move forward and to be able to offer so much help and health to people that are are coming there for community and coming there for church. All of this space is new to me, Justin. If I'm really honest, for a lot of years, I was that person that thought that if somebody went to see a counselor is because there was some sort of weakness about them, you know, that they couldn't overcome. And if you were mentally strong enough and could pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you wouldn't need that. Now, you know, the, the universe has a grand way of showing you your, your inadequacies. And the older I've gotten, the more I've realized how important what you're talking about right now, how important this is for everybody. So what are some suggestions that you would have of, you know, ways that people can introduce this just into their normal everyday life? I think first we have to one, get over the stigma, right? Everyone needs some mental help from time to time, and that's okay. And you may not even have to get it from a licensed therapist, which is fine, but licensed therapists are important. Second, though, what we also have to to embrace is making this a natural part of our life versus only dealing it with it in crisis. We can prevent a lot of crisis. You know, we take vitamins to help us stay healthy so we can overcome sickness quicker or people do exercise so that they don't deal with the issue of obesity. And uh, actually, exercise is a great way too to release endorphins and dopamine 
dopamine. I mean, find the thing, the one thing or two things that you are comfortable with. It could be journaling. It could be going for a walk or going for a run. Uh, it could be simply practicing the, the three things that you're thankful for every day. It could just be deep breathing. Take a cleansing breath. You know, uh, when we take those cleansing breaths, a lot of people don't realize this, but throughout the day, our brain becomes deprived of oxygen. And one of the reasons that you notice yourself lagging in mental processing and dealing with your emotions late at night, it's because our brain has been so deprived of oxygen that our mental processing isn't at its highest peak. Well, the way that we increase that is by simply taking some deep breaths during the day. In through your nose, out through your mouth, and just relax for a moment. You know, just simple things like that and becoming intentional. I'm excited that these conversations are happening more. I'm excited that our culture is becoming more comfortable with talking about mental health and taking a lot of that stigma off of it. I think, you know, our kids' generation, it's going to be a, a wildly different type of thinking around this because they are so open to having these conversations. So I'm, I'm excited about the future when we talk about mental health, but what are some of the things that you're hopeful for specifically in this mental health area, whether that's in church or in culture in general? Well, the trauma informed resilience building conversation seems like it's becoming apparent right now. What is scary is these conversations were taking place 20 years ago. Mm. And so that's how long it's taken to get the traction for it just to be a general conversation. And we're not saying everyone's accepted it. Just the, the conversation has become more mainstream now. Remember, I said, I went down this path kicking and screaming. Like, I thought this was touchy-feely. I thought this was fluff. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't want to have anything to do with it in the beginning. But I think a lot of that was because of my, my own demons and my own mess and some of the problems that, that I had passed on to others. But that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> uh, and so my hope is that... In 20 years down the road, you know, there are a couple trauma-informed or a few trauma-informed churches out there, but I hope it becomes the mainstream conversation, not just for people of the Christian faith, but for people of all faith, because all faiths have aspects of mentally healthy practices, things like meditation, even though they may not meditate the same way I do, Buddhist meditation, Hindu meditation, Muslim meditation, all that meditation is very beneficial. But to connect it to the mental health aspect and not just the religious aspect, I think is very important. So I want to see faith communities in the next 20, 30 years have this be part of their normal conversation. As for the culture, I'm really excited right now to, to see things uh, like better health pop up where you can do mental health uh, counseling and, and, and exercises via the internet. What I'm cautious about with that is that we don't become too caught up in living online. So while I'm excited to see virtual counseling, I want us to be cautious that we don't only receive our connectedness online, but 
I'm hoping that over the years to come, there will just be free mental health resources everywhere. I also hope that businesses, which are doing better than churches right now, but I hope that all businesses actually start providing mental health resources for their employees. So those are some of the things I look forward to and and have great hope for in the future. As we bring it home today, I believe that step one for many of us is simply being willing to talk more openly about mental health. I mean, the only topic that I can think of that has been more taboo over the years is probably sex. Also, as we're having conversations throughout our just normal everyday life, approach others in a trauma-informed way and be aware that if someone responds to you with anger or in a way that seems in any way unkind, be aware that their response, it's coming from somewhere. It didn't just come out of nowhere. That, that is based in something. Finally, and I don't know, this, this is probably the most important thing. Take care of your own mental health. Find ways in your daily routine to care for yourself. Meditation, journaling, exercise, seeing a therapist, whatever it is that's helpful to you because you know yourself better than anyone. You are worth whatever investment of time or money that may require. Special thanks to Dr. Justin Meyer for joining us today. Be sure to check out his podcast, Faithful Mindfulness. Right when you're done listening to this one, click over to Faithful Mindfulness and give it a listen. Also, be sure to check out his church, The Journey, at RethinkFaith.org. As always, you can support this podcast, Chasing Goodness, by subscribing to it, giving it a five-star rating, and writing a review. You can also find me on social media, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Kinzera. And of course, let's continue chasing goodness together.